One of the things I miss most about having really little kids is bedtime stories. Um, and what I loved about this is that they had such great stories, and my wife and people over years had gifted us some of these wonderful children's books. I mean, there were some that were horrible, and I hated them, and I kind of hid them so they would never pick them at bedtime, and we wouldn't have to read them, but every, there was a few that I just loved, and I'd kind of put them on top of the pile, hoping that they'd pick this one to read, but this was my all-time favorite. Uh, what are you so grumpy about? And this was given to one of our children, I won't say who who had a disposition to being grumpy all the time. And it was a great book. It kind of like had all these scenarios of all the reasons that you could imagine that you could wake up in the morning and be instantly grumpy. You get up and you step on a piece of Lego. You go into the kitchen for breakfast and you're, there's all your good sugar cereals are gone. So you have to eat mom's cereal, which is like twigs and sticks and gravel cereal. Um, you know, you go to school and it's a field trip, but you're going to a museum of the history of dirt. I know I'm spoiling the book if you're going to buy it and get it. Um, but this is kind of the theme of the whole book is what are you so grumpy about? And it was great because uh, it gave us opportunity to talk about emotions like frustration and even grouchiness and even things like anger with uh, a child in our home who shall remain nameless um, that we needed to have this conversation with uh, again and again and again. Because it's important to be able to talk about things like anger. It's important to be able to talk about things like frustration. And the passage that we're going to look at today talks about what I would call religious anger. It's almost like there's a special kind of anger within religious communities, in particular when things change or when people um, see things that were really valuable to them for a long period of time change, and it, that it brings up into our heart a real intense kind of anger. We've been studying through the book of Acts, and today the passage that we're looking at, the context is angry people. Uh, let me just read for you a little bit of uh, Acts chapter 6, and then the first part of Acts chapter 7. The context is we've been talking about um, the church was having a problem. They appointed some people to give leadership to the church. They picked a man by the name of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And he was going to give leadership to the ministry of uh, providing bread for widows, kind of the benevolent ministry of the church. And so he's doing so, and he's doing this well. As he's doing this, he's sharing with people the good news of the gospel. He's talking to people about uh, the grace and mercy of Jesus. And as he's doing this, he's also talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit has now come. And the Spirit doesn't abide in a religious building. It abides within the people of God. And this generates some anger. Acts chapter 6, the very end, starting at verse 15 and then just the first part of verse 7. All who were getting, sitting in the sad heenard looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was that like an angel. Then the high priest asked him, Are these charges against you true? Are these charges against you true? So what would happen is Stephen, as he was going on in his own ministry, talked about the fact that the temple of God, the holy place of God, was no longer needed. Acts chapter 6, he says this, This fellow Stephen never stopped speaking against the holy place. And the law. He never stops speaking against the holy place and the law. 
And this was deeply, deeply concerning and disturbing. The temple was the place where heaven met earth. It was the place where people came and received mercy and met God and had their sins forgiven. And Stephen was essentially playing, yeah, nice place, served a purpose, no longer needed. And this created anger. In fact, it says that the people that brought the charges against him uh, in Acts chapter 6, verse 9, says they were members of the synagogue of the freedmen, Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as Cilicia and Asia. So these were Jews who didn't live in Jerusalem. They were from modern-day Libya, Egypt, Turkey. These were come from aways, is how we would talk about them here. They were people who, at Passover, they met in their home, in their living room in Turkey, with a few other Jewish families, and they celebrated together. This, on the high holidays, when they were living in Libya, they gathered together with a few other Jewish believers, and they worshiped together. But now they've come to Israel. They've come to Jerusalem to pay homage here, and while they're here, they're standing in the majesty, majesty of the temple, and they're just overwhelmed by it, to finally be in the Holy Land, and to be here at the temple. And then they hear, Stephen speaking against this holy place and against the law. And they're angry. And they trump up some charges. And they bring him before the high priest who works and receives his salary from the temple. And so Stephen is asked about these charges. And in good preacher fashion, he gives them a really long sermon. Okay, Chapter 7 is 60 verses long. So we will only read it twice this morning. Actually, what I want to do is that we won't read the whole thing. We're going to, I'm just, let me give you a bit of a summary because I would encourage you this week to take some time to read this chapter. Like, read it once a day or something, just for the week. And just see how God might speak to you through this incredible story of God's faithfulness through time and the many, many unique ways that God has moved over time. It starts, um, again, we're talking about holy place, we're talking about temple, the importance of it and how it's like absolutely essential and absolutely central and, and nobody can say anything against it. So Stephen takes them on a little history trip and he walks them starting with Abraham, right through to Joseph, right through to Moses, right through to Joshua, right through to the prophets to show them all the places and all the ways that God has been working. It starts in Iraq, modern day Iraq. This is where the family of God has its roots. The city of Haran. Abraham's story. God calls people living in modern-day Iraq. Makes promises, speaks to them, makes a covenant with them. And for the first 400 years of the history of the people of God, they aren't anywhere near Israel. Then Joseph comes. He was rejected by his family, sold into slavery. And yet God used him, God rescued him, and God gave him wisdom. Oh, where? Well, in prison. And in a courtroom. This is where God was most active in Joseph's life. In a prison cell. And in a courtroom. Not in a temple. Not in a church. Then it comes to Moses. And Stephen spends most of his time in Acts chapter 7 talking about Moses. How God provided safety for Moses when he was born. And he grew up in Egypt. He grew up to be a ruler and a leader, but was rejected by his people. Actually, rejected a few times by the Israelites. He gets angry. He kills somebody. He goes to Midian for 40 years and spends 40 years as a shepherd. And while he's in Midian, this pagan land, being a shepherd on the job, God shows up to him through the burning bush and speaks to him and calls him back. Can you imagine if God showed up to you at your job, 
a burning photocopier, a burning microwave in the break room. This is where God shows up and calls Moses back to lead his people. And on and on it goes. Stephen is saying, you're so wound up about this one physical building, this one physical space. The whole history of our people is God has been working everywhere and anywhere he needs to in order to accomplish what he wants to do. Anytime, anywhere. Cities, rural areas. Giant buildings, two people walking on a road. God is, can do anything he wants in any space. This has been our story and it is going to continue to be the story of the people of God. So let me just point out a few things from this that just I think we need to hear as we think about what does it mean to be the church in 2023. The first is this. It's an examination question for each of us. Have we limited God by assuming what he can and can't do or where he can and can't work? Maybe subconsciously, maybe consciously. Have we limited God in any way thinking he can or can't do this or he will or won't do that and in this place. Stephen wants these angry religious leaders to see that God's been on the move ever since, doing whatever he needs to do in any place he needs to do it in order to bring about this movement. He quotes Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. And then this almost comical question, what kind of a house would you build for me? you were to draw something up on your spot, what kind of a house would you build for me? Or where would my resting place be? Haven't I made everything that you would use to make this kind of a house? Why is this important? Because the danger of limiting God to space and time is that if he's here, he's not there. And if he's not there, and I'm over there, I can do whatever I want because... He's not there. Interesting, if you read through, the Acts, in, through Acts chapter 7, it's when they get to the point where they kill Stephen, spoiler alert, um, they take him outside of the city. Why would they take him outside of the city? Well, because the city's holy. You don't kill people in holy places. But if the city's holy, outside of the city's not holy. Well, we can do unholy things in unholy places. Stephen wants them to see there is no place where God is not present and God is not moving. And we can absorb this kind of thinking so easily without even thinking about it. Um, I've seen it as it relates to church buildings, that we can start to think that a certain space is more sacred than non-religious buildings. I'll be honest with you, um, myself and many other people here, we spent a lot of our time and energy to relocate and retransition our church 10 years ago. We repurposed our old site, we built this site, we changed our names, and on and on and on. Let me tell you, in 10 years, if this place is no longer working for us, we should get rid of it and do the thing that we need to do. This place is no more sacred than a room in your house or a room at your workplace. This room is no more sacred than a room in your house or a room in your workplace. And immediately what happens is if we start to think this is more sacred than home or work, then we will do things here that we won't do at home or we'll do things at home and at work that we would never do in here. And that is the kind of thinking that the people fell into in this time. 
They decided what is sacred space, and we'll behave one way there. What is not sacred place, and we can do whatever we like over here. Maybe it's not buildings. Maybe it's time. There's certain times that are sacred, and certain other times that are kind of unsacred. We can do whatever we like. We come here. You're going to behave a certain way. We're going to go through certain things. You're going to be open to the Lord. You're hopefully listening and haven't fallen asleep yet right now. Um, You know, you're going to pray. We need to take that same attitude everywhere we go all week in a spirit of prayer, in a spirit of openness. Here today, you might expect God to move. You might expect him to speak. You might not be blown away by that. What about tomorrow? What about Friday evening? Is there a time and a space that you really aren't expecting God to show up and meet you? Anytime, any place. Which is actually a really wonderful gift. I don't know what your life is like. My most stressful moments aren't between 11 and 12 on a Sunday morning. These aren't the most difficult, demanding times. This is not the time of the week where life gets most raw and challenging. Maybe for you, if the sermon keeps going really long and it doesn't make any sense, you might experience that. But my guess is that your most challenging and difficult and raw times in the week are outside of this hour. And you should know that the Lord is there with you in those moments. Because the Lord does not exist in a certain time or in a certain space. That wherever you go, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever circumstance, whatever time, the Lord can meet you in that moment. God shows up at Moses' workplace and calls him. He shows up to Joseph in a prison and rescues him in the same way he can meet us anytime in any space. And the challenge for the people in Stephen's day, and I would say the challenge for us in our day, the challenge for pastors <laughs> is that God's always doing something new. God does new things, and then we scramble to keep up with him. I had a professor in, in seminary, Dr. Robert Wilson. Uh, great professor, history professor, and he always had this quote in our, in our class. He said, the church always institutionalizes the way the Holy Spirit last moved. The church institutionalizes the way the Holy Spirit last moved, meaning God moves. He does something new. It's incredible. We're all blown away. We didn't plan it. We didn't cook it up. God does something, and then we build a program around it. We give it a name, we give it a logo, everybody gets a t-shirt about it, and we kind of get this thing going, and then we better, we create budget, we create a budget line item for it, and we're off to the races, and then in 20 years, everybody's standing around going, why do we do this anymore? Like, but we had the budget, we got the t-shirts, we got to keep it going, but God is off doing something new. The challenge for you and I as the church is to be attentive to the new thing that God is doing in each generation and to be responding faithfully to it. Another reminder from this, from this chapter is that it's not safe to follow Jesus. It's not safe to follow Jesus. Following Jesus will cost you something. The difficult reality to this story is that Stephen is killed by these religious leaders. He becomes the first martyr of the church, the first of many, 
but in the reminder that in the last hundred years, more people have died for their Christian faith than in any other century beforehand. Think about that for a second. We think of martyrdom as something that happened a long time ago. It continues to happen now. And we as a culture, at least in North America, we're very obsessed with safety. Everything has to be safe. And I, I get that. There's no need for unneeded harm to people. But we live in a broken and complex world. In leadership circles, we use the acronym VUCA, V-U-C-A, to, to mean volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. This is the new acronym that people are using to describe the times in which we're leading in. I was talking to someone the other day about their work. They said, we used to have 10-year strategic plans, and we nailed everything down, and we just did it for 10 years. Now we did, then we did five, and then we did three. Now we're working on six-month increments, hoping that we don't have to do a massive change between now and December. The times that we live in are challenging and difficult, which should not surprise any of us. The days in which the church was born and lived and did its best work could have been described as VUCA days as well. And the story of Stephen's martyrdom reminds us that following Jesus is costly. Jesus' initial invitation to his disciples was to pick up your cross and follow me. And as Christians, we are resident aliens. We're strangers in the same land, we, in a strange land. We are living under a different king and with a vision for a different kingdom in a world that is very different from the, and the values that we share. So it means that there's going to be cost. And it's, sometimes we can measure it. It's going to be time. It's going to be money. It's going to be energy. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a, a reputation that you have. And in some places in the world, it might even be hostility and violence. And while we might think that opposition or persecution would put a stop to the Lord's work, the reality is, in so many places where there is persecution in the church, the church grows and moves in incredible ways. I was on a call um, last week um, with Canadian Baptist Ministries, um, with, and one of their staff members had just returned from Beirut, Lebanon. And they were visiting Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. There's a Baptist seminary in Beirut, Lebanon. And they work with students from Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, Morocco, Sudan, and all of these nations right around the Middle East. Some of you would notice that these would be very unsafe countries to be a Christian and to have a church. Many of them are working in underground Christians where being a Christian is actually illegal. In fact, one of the professors said, uh, he said, here at Arab Baptist Theological Seminary, we just assume that every student who graduates from our seminary to be a pastor will do prison time. It's just an assumption. If you're going to pastor in the Middle East and some of these countries, you're going to spend time in jail, and you should just get used to that idea right from the get-go. And we would think, how could God work in circumstances like that? And the truth is, the report that we were listening to, they said the Holy Spirit is doing unprecedented things in this area. Following the Lord will cost us. Joseph was rejected, as Stephen goes through the list. Moses was rejected multiple times. Jesus was rejected, and Stephen was rejected. And while we do not need to become jerks for the sake of having people reject us or dislike us based on our views, 
we accept the fact that as Christ's followers, we also recognize that discipleship will cost us something as well. Lastly, is an image of Jesus found at the end of chapter 7. Uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to 60. Peter preaches for a very long time. And then when he's done, it says this. When they heard this, when they heard everything that Stephen had just said, sorry, not Peter, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of, outside the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell fast asleep. Now, when Stephen finishes preaching, the response is rage, burning hatred towards him. Maybe it's a coincidence, but Luke uses a phrase to describe their anger as the gnashing of teeth, to capture kind of how angry they were. Now, that phrase might sound familiar to some of you if you've been reading at all in the Gospels, because it's the same language that Jesus used to describe hell, gnashing of teeth. And as I was thinking about it this week, I thought, hell is when religious people fight over holy places, killing each other in barbaric ways, which is what we have been seeing in the news each and every day. But in stark contrast to this hellish image, I'm captured by Jesus. Captured by Jesus, who in this moment stands while Stephen is dying. Pastor Joe pointed out to me this week as we were discussing this text, this is the only account where Jesus is described as being next to his heavenly Father, but standing. Sixteen times in the scripture, Jesus is described as being at the right hand of God, and he's always sitting. This is the only reference where Jesus is standing, leaving us to wonder why. Why in that moment does Jesus stand up as Stephen is dying? Most commentators think it's because in the ancient world, a judge, when they delivered their verdict, they stood. They would stand up and they would pronounce their judgment over the person on trial. And then what Jesus was saying to Stephen in that moment is these guys might get their final word for you here, but I have the final word over your life. And that no matter what happens to us here, no matter what challenges, difficulties, and circumstances, maybe we lose a reputation, maybe there's difficulties, Jesus says, I have the final word over you. It's interesting, in Acts chapter 8, just in the first few verses, it said, Saul approved of this killing. And it's like Jesus says, he might approve of this, but I'm going to have the final word over your life once and for all, which is our hope. And if this world is all we have to offer, that's a really sad thing. But if we know there is another life to come, and Jesus has the final word over things, we have confidence, our anchor rooted to the ground. Well, it would look at this point in Acts chapter 7 that it's not good. 
the church is in really big trouble. There's this guy, Saul, he's persecuting the church. Stephen, their man, has been killed. It looks like it's game over. We'll take it up next week at Acts chapter 8. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm mindful today that there's people here who feel like it might be game over for them too. Who are facing circumstances and difficulties and challenges. And if we just look at the external events of our life, it doesn't look good. But Lord, our hope is in something greater. And today we can trust in you, even in this devastating story for Stephen and for his family. God, you had the final word over his life. And we think about his life and the inspiration it has been to Christians in times of persecution around the world for over 2,000 years. But today, Lord, we remember that we can put our hope in you, our trust in you, that you can work anywhere and everywhere. There's nothing that you can't do. There's no space that you can't meet us. And so today we give you thanks for the reason for our confidence.